You're listening to a message from Severe Heights. To learn more about us, go to www.severeheights.org. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, show of hands for a second. How many people either watched the game yesterday or went to the game yesterday? Show of hands. Tough game, um, but incredible a moment at halftime on behalf of you know, many families here at this church, uh, on behalf of our family. Uh, our family's had the privilege of knowing Chris uh, for a long time. Um, Chris is uh, one of those guys that uh, will, he's the only guy that will show up at our house to this day and not knock, just walks in, and then he will leave without saying goodbye. Strangest bird, I'm telling you. Um, but Chris, uh, I remember when he first came uh, we developed this friendship. I got him a Bible, and uh, he was a part of this church, part of the walk. Um, we were supposed to go to an event. Uh, Jenny and I were, that uh, they celebrated and honored him on Friday. Give you an idea of what he's like. I, I called on Thursday to let him know that we weren't going to be able to make it. And uh, in the conversation, I told him, I said, I don't still, still don't know why you're getting this thing while they're retiring the number in the rafters. And uh, if you know Chris, he's humble. If you really know Chris, he's cocky. Um, and he said, uh, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I said, I just don't know why they're doing it. I said, I think they feel sorry for you. And I said, of the four years you were here, I don't remember doing squat. I said, you never passed the ball. And he said, Tim, they didn't sign me to pass the ball. And then he said, uh, <laughs> it was great. And he said, men lie, women lie. But them numbers don't lie. And so he was talking about his stats. Uh, it, it was good. Uh, for those that don't know, you know, it was a progression. Uh, and just like those two that were baptized, I think it was a couple years ago, um, Chris was finally baptized here. And it was a, a beautiful day. Um, but in his statement when he said uh, numbers don't lie, he's talking about the proof in the, in the stats. And really, this week, as we tackle the topic called the gospel, last week was the Bible. This week's the, the, the gospel. Last week's the Bible. Uh, when it comes to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, really, the proof is in this passage in particular. And when I say the passage, many of you are, are so familiar with it, like you could quote it. Um, but I, I want to show you elements in the passage that are very practical, two in particular that just warm my heart. And the last one we'll close on. Uh, here's my prayer for today, but also this is my prayer for 2023 on behalf of the church. Ephesians 3, verse 17, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, here we go, how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Jesus. I'd like to pray together. Uh, God, I want to thank you for an opportunity today to gather in this room and as we have the chance to open our eyes to the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, that Jesus was crucified for our sins and buried, and he rose again and was seen. God, help us to understand today the height, the length, the depth, the width of relationship with him, and help us to understand that it comes out of a new birth, not good behavior. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Um, today's story uh, takes place 20 centuries ago. It's about a man in particular in this story that is well known in his city. Um, he's very influential yet intimidating because he is very intellectual. Um, he is intelligent, extremely educated, 
And this guy is probably twice the age of Jesus. Uh, He's popular in town because he, along with several of his friends that are on a board, make a lot of decisions and rulings on behalf of some of the difficult decisions that take place uh, in their town. Now, something important to note that a lot of people forget. Obviously, when you study John 3, we, we pay such close attention to John 3 that we forget there was a John 2. The events of John 3 wouldn't have happened were it not for an incident in John chapter 2. Listen to this, John chapter 2, verse 23. Now, while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing. So you got people in the background in John chapter 2 that are watching Jesus perform miracles. And our God today, Nicodemus, is probably hiding in the shadows. Uh, He is a spiritual celebrity that is afraid to be affiliated with this man called the Son of Man, who happens to be the Son of God. But he's curious about these miracles, curious about the signs. And Nicodemus is from the town, and as he watches the people that are healed, he knows that it's not a fake, it's not phony, it's not magic. There's got to be something to this. Because he knew the the person that was blind. They've been blind all their life. And yet when Jesus touched this person, Nicodemus hiding in the shadows, he saw the man healed. He saw the man able to see. When the man that was crippled, Nicodemus knew the the story behind the man that was crippled. He saw the injury. Uh, Crippled from the waist down. He'd known that man for years. He'd, He'd known that man so long that he knew the man had only one crutch. And the man had always used that one crutch. But when Jesus touched him and he was healed, the man was practically doing carpenters. It just didn't make sense to Nicodemus. And in light of all that Nicodemus do, he knew there was something about Jesus that Nicodemus still needed to know. Um, Before we go further, I want to talk to um, those that are followers of Jesus in this room for a second. Just a quick observation. Based on uh, John 3 and John 2, on behalf of your life, there are people that are watching. uh, People that are hiding in the shadows. Paying close attention, you know, how you work in your office, your cubicle. Uh, Paying close attention to how you respond at the classroom, on the ball field, in the gym. Um, You know, I've had moments where I've had stupid, bad Tim moments. I think I've told you one before. I'll I'll probably bring it up again. But remember going just quickly to get your oil changed. You just want to get it done. Um, And I remember one time in particular, you know, they're always... Some places are always pressing you to get more. Like, you need this, you need this. They bring out all that stuff. I'm like, but I didn't come to get all that done. It was a bad day. Um, So I just want my oil changed. And sure enough, they went in the other room. There was a girl that was in the area that I was waiting with. She said, hey, don't I know you? Aren't you the pastor at Severe Heights? And I'm like, shoot, you know. (laughs) And I said, I am. I'm sorry. I'm a bad day. No excuse. Went and apologized to those guys. Gave them like $400 to do all the filters. And... (laughs) The reality is, even in our worst moments, I'm reminded on the golf course, like, slow play, Tim, slow down. People know you are. All right, so the point is, uh, people are always watching, all right? They're taking their cues from us. And here's how the story unfolds, because were it not for John 2, where this guy was watching, there wouldn't be a John 3. John 3, verse 1, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So he's top of the class. This guy helps establish the rules. He knew all about the Old Testament, and he knew it better than anyone in this room. He was varsity elite. When it says the Jewish ruling council, that meant he was a part of the Sanhedrin. It was a club of 70 men that made all the decisions on behalf of the rules, the Supreme Court, if you will. John chapter 3, verse number 10, it lets us know that he is the leader of the Sanhedrin. 
By the way, later on you find out the apostle Paul who writes most of the New Testament before he met Jesus was a part of the Sanhedrin. Well, Nicodemus, intrigued by what happened in John 2, wants to have a meeting with Jesus. He's intrigued, curious, but he doesn't want people to see him. Uh, After all, if people see him, his job could be at risk. So he asks for a meeting with Jesus at night. I love to refer to him as Nick at night. Instead of meeting like perhaps in an alleyway, maybe he met on the top of a roof. And there on the top of the roof, they're having questions because at night on the top of a roof, his 69 band of brothers are less likely to see him. The conversation begins in verse number two. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, in other words, it's either flattery or a compliment. We know that you're a teacher who's come from God. In other words, we've heard you teach and it is phenomenal. For some reason, the longer you teach, the bigger the crowd gets. That's not usually what happens with teachers. For no one could perform the signs. It's those signs though. No one could perform the signs that you're doing if God weren't with them. Like Nicodemus is a certified, accredited, licensed teacher. He's got the diploma. Jesus doesn't. Nicodemus in a sense is saying, look, I teach classes about miracles and you perform them. And then Jesus, in typical Jesus style, even though Nicodemus doesn't ask a question, Jesus kind of changes the subject. Verse 3, Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, hey, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Like There's an art to this. The master teacher approaching Nicodemus. Scholars say that Nicodemus was probably the most intelligent person that Jesus ever had a conversation with on the face of earth. I want you to notice the progression. Usually I talk about the progression of relationships a lot. Like when you meet people, when you encounter people, it's usually a stranger, an acquaintance, or a friend. Um, Good relationships kind of move through that, that progression. Jesus is kind of doing that with Nicodemus. He's got a face-to-face encounter, then he's got a mind-to-mind or a brain-to-brain exchange. And eventually through this encounter, you're going to see a heart-to-heart application. Uh, The dialogue starts to change pace when Jesus has this conversation. He points out a problem. He's pointing the problem out to a man that is very spiritual, that has a lot of spiritual IQ. And he lets him know there's something that he can't see. There is a kingdom that is not of this world, and there is a second birth. What Jesus is telling him ultimately is we can't behave our way into this kingdom. We have to be born into it. Nicodemus struggles with the idea of this second kingdom and a new birth. Uh, Legit, what is birth? It's an introduction to this world. So what is a new birth? It's an introduction to a new world. The reason Nicodemus struggles, and this is one of my favorite themes in the book of John, When you read the book of John, most people struggle, even the disciples struggle with fathoming who Jesus is because they can't get past their five senses. Yeah, I mean, it's hilarious when you read chapter after chapter after chapter, and guys are constantly talking about what they see, what they hear, what they touch, and they can't get past their five senses. Same for Nicodemus. How can someone be born again when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Once again, he can't get past the five senses. But Jesus is talking about a kingdom that can't be seen. He's talking about a birth that's brand new. And everyone in this room is hoping that this type of birth is not the birth that we're aware of. I mean, we got seven, eight, nine, ten pound babies and 
The concept of a 45-year-old man going back to his mom, mom, I got good news, I met Jesus, bad news, first birth didn't go well, right? Doesn't make sense. This is where Nicodemus is struggling because he's caught up on the five senses. By the way, tip number two. I told you earlier that John 3 wouldn't have happened were it not for John 2, and people are watching us all the time. Here's another observation. This isn't something to camp out on. It's just a reminder. Nicodemus is twice the age of Jesus. Jesus is extremely kind and shows honor and respect to this man as he has a conversation. And to the followers of Jesus in churches across America, I have yet to see someone come to know Jesus because someone else was a jerk. Take time to listen. Take time to love. Follow these cues. Verse number five, Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, bud, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. And scholars believe this born of water is the physical birth. It's like when a woman is going into labor, the water breaks. So this is a physical birth. But he says, no one can go to the kingdom of God unless he's born of the spirit, meaning this new birth. And I imagine at this moment, Nicodemus' mouth is like dropped wide open, kind of confused. Jesus says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And Nicodemus, I know you know about this earthly birth because of the situation with your mom, with other women. But there's a second birth, Nicodemus. It's not of this world. It's of a different kingdom. And Nicodemus, you can have it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't church attend your way into it. You can't give your way into it. You can't try hard enough to get into it. In other words, he's letting Nicodemus know the same thing we need to remember. We cannot behave our way into Jesus' kingdom. We must be born into it. Verse 7. Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. But Nicodemus just can't get past the five senses. It's the world that we live in. Touch, taste, see, hear, smell. And right about now, as they're having this conversation, imagine it's on the rooftop. A wind blows through. I can imagine like a candle or a torch begins to flicker. Can't help but think that maybe there's some leaves that are rolling or tumbling across the ground. And Jesus, the master teacher, leverages this wind and he makes this statement. Hey, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone that is born of the Spirit. And when Jesus talks about the Spirit, he would later elaborate on the Spirit in John 15 through 17. The Spirit is a Him. It's not just this impersonal power and this impersonal project. It is the third person of the Trinity. It is an invisible movement of God. That means the person to your left and to the right. They have either experienced the second birth or they have not. It is an absolute work of God. And Jesus' simplicity about this conversation creates even more intrigue on behalf of Nicodemus to the point where Nicodemus now responds, how can this be? Nicodemus is super spiritual. He just doesn't have the spirit. He's not been born again. He's physically alive, but according to Jesus, he's spiritually dead. 
Nicodemus is saying to Jesus, I just don't get this. Like, like I've gone to church. I know everything about the Bible. I, I just don't understand this concept of what it is you're talking about on behalf of a kingdom that you're establishing and this new birth. And this is one of my favorite parts of the story. Because on behalf of everyone that's struggling with the concept of following Jesus, on behalf of people that are stuck, on behalf of people that are not yet willing to go there, Jesus summarizes three reasons that every person struggles. And he tells it to Nicodemus. If you've got a pen, if you've got your phone open, you ought to bold this, highlight it, underline it. It's several verses together. It makes all the sense in the world. Here's Jesus' response to why people don't receive. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said to Nicodemus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen. But you, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you don't believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. And in that spilling, Jesus tells us three reasons that Nicodemus has not been born again. You ready? Number one, you do not understand. Number two, you do not accept. And number three, verbatim, you do not believe. On behalf of anyone that has never come to a personal understanding, that means they don't understand that literally God sent his son Jesus. This is the gospel message. And Jesus was crucified for our sins and buried and rose from the dead and was seen. They don't understand the concept of that. Number two, if, it's, if they do understand the concept, then number two, they haven't accepted it. I mean, they haven't accepted the fact that the reason Jesus came, Jesus predicted his death and his resurrection, and then he pulled it off. And since he pulled it off, he made a claim, a harsh claim. Among everything else that's out there, all religions, Jesus makes this claim. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And if you haven't yet followed Jesus, either you're stuck on understanding, or number two, you're not willing to accept that as truth. Or number three, you just won't believe it. Meaning you're not willing to live by it. And it's everything that we taught last week about the Old Testament, the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus. This truth where Jesus says, God, will you please change them with truth? Your word is truth. And so Jesus is letting Nicodemus know, but you are smart. You got a high spiritual IQ. But if we press in on behalf of who I am, Jesus says, and why I'm here, you don't understand. You've not yet accepted it. And you're not ready to believe. And now Jesus decides to speak to Nicodemus about something that Nicodemus knows all about. Look at this. Verse 14, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. And they, immediately Nicodemus is thinking, all right, that's um, Numbers 21, verse 4 through 9. The nation of Israel is kind of going through the wilderness and they're struggling. They turn their back on God. God sends four snakes. Many of the Israelites are bitten by snakes. Some are dying. Moses pleads to God and says, God, will you please do something about that? God has Moses form a staff or in the shape of a cross and has bronze servants serpents that are placed on the top. And God tells Moses that if anyone who has been bitten that was close to dying or dying would look to that cross and believe, they would be saved. They would be rescued. And Nicodemus knows that. He's, he's so familiar with the text. 
Verse 14. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness. We told you last week. Jesus came to fulfill everything about the Old Testament. So the Son of Man must be lifted up. That everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is letting them know only God's Son on the cross will satisfy God. Jesus is letting Nicodemus know the same thing we have to know. You cannot behave your way into this kingdom. You must be born into it. To be born into it, you must understand it, you must accept it, and you must believe it. Well, Nicodemus is listening in this passage, he's contemplating. He's probably taking some steps, but he's not yet there. Uh, We find out later in John chapter 7 that Nicodemus is still part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin's making a decision on behalf of Jesus. Uh, Nicodemus is in a little bit of a predicament because he doesn't know what to do. He kind of sticks his head out there and goes to bat for Jesus, but he doesn't go all the way out on a limb. But as the Gospel of John unfolds, we find out at the end of the Gospel of John that Nicodemus finally took that step. He ended up taking care of the body of Christ when Christ was crucified. And John refers to Nicodemus in that passage as a disciple, meaning this. Eventually, Nicodemus understood, he accepted, and he believed. And now, we get to my favorite part of this message. This one verse. It's so easy to gloss over. It's one sentence. And this one sentence, understand that it addresses every person in this room's greatest needs. The issues that we struggle with, God, man, Jesus, sin, heaven, hell. It's all found in this one verse. When Nicodemus finally got to the point where he trusted Christ, this verse is at the heart of everything. It's at the core of the gospel. I really have a tough time believing that anyone memorizes this verse. I feel like we all learned it by osmosis. It's like seeped in, right? But here's my favorite part. At the beginning of the message today, I prayed Ephesians 3 over you. You'd understand the width of his love, the length of his love, the depth of his love and the height of his love. It's found in this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Here we go. For God so loved the world. That's the width of his love. It's not just a Jerusalem thing. It's not just a Nicodemus thing. It's not just a 2,000 years ago thing. It's a Knoxville thing in 2023. It's a you thing. It's a me thing. It's UPS. It's KUB. It's TVA. It's UT. It's all the school systems. This is the width of his love. For God so loved the world, the width of his love, that he gave his only son. That's the length to which his love would go. He would send his only son. I have two kids. And there's not one person in this room that I would give either of my kids to rescue. That is the length to which our Savior went. Literally, that the Father would send his Son and have him be sacrificed. So for God so loved the world, that's the width of his love, that he gave his only Son, the length to which he would go. 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish. Ready? That's the depth from which we're saved. The depth from which someone that's born again experienced that second birth, that's the depth from which we are rescued. Because apart from Jesus, according to the Bible, we are destined in an eternity separated from God. For God so loved the world, that's the width of his love. But he gave his one and only son, that's the length to which he went. That whosoever believes in him will not perish the depth from which we were rescued, but have eternal life. Ready? That's the height to which we'll be raised. Guys, it's going to be phenomenal. I know a lot of times people talk about it as a place, and I'm telling you more than anything else, I just can't wait to see his face. I can't wait to touch the face of Jesus. I can't wait to, I can't wait to hear him teach. I can't wait to see his personality. I can't wait to hear him laugh. You know, in heaven, here's the good news. We will be released from all sin, all pain, all suffering, no more cancer, no more adultery, no more problems. We will be released from all that. In heaven, we will be reassigned a new job, the Bible says. Guess what? If you don't like your current job, good news. You're going to get a new one in heaven. It's going to be incredible. We will be released from all sin and suffering. We will be reassigned a new job. Ready for this? We will be reunited with the people we love most that love Jesus. I'm telling you. This is the width, the length, the depth, and the height of his love. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. You know, the people that spend eternity separated from God, they're unsaved. But the people that spend eternity separated from God, according to this verse, were never unloved. He loved them anyway. And they just chose to reject him because they couldn't understand, weren't willing to accept, or just wouldn't believe. And so I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Jesus. Praying that you'd understand it. Praying that you'd accept it. And praying that you'd believe it. You can't behave your way into his kingdom. You can only be born into it. Which means you'll become a new believer. Which means, according to the Bible, you'll be a new creation. Which means you'll have a new heart. Which means you'll be given a new nature. Which means you've been indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he will give you new desires. Let's pray together today. God, thank you for the gospel. Just this good news that Christ died for our sins and was buried. He rose from the dead and was seen. God, that is not something just to intrigue our intellect. It's not just something 
we admire and we try to behave our way into. We must be born again. So God, for every person in this room who's come to that understanding, I pray that they would accept it as truth. And I pray they'd be willing to live by it, to surrender their lives to you, to believe. And today, if you're in the room and you've taken that step, I want to encourage you just to let us know as you leave, there is a next steps wall. Or if you walk to the front right, there is a next steps hall. There are people at both of them. Love to chat with you, talk with you about next steps. We'd like to be an encouragement to you along the way. Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for this good news. Thank you for this great church filled with messed up people, in the words of the Apostle Paul, among whom I, I'm the chief. God, I thank you for grace. I thank you for what your son went through on our behalf to satisfy the Father. And I pray that we would understand it, that we would accept it, and we would believe.